So thought is actually made up of a memory in the same way that a tree is made of roots and branches. And memories are comprised of data and behaviors and perceptions. The fact that you've focused on it, you've just made it stronger. So it goes back different and stronger and more toxic than before. Your mind is this energy force. It sends messages through the subconscious, which is this doorway, the portal, into the conscious mind. The current medical model, it makes people feel hopeless. Like, oh, I've got a brain disease, or I've got a chemical imbalance, which is not even accurate scientifically. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready? To take charge of your existence and biohack your life, this show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, it was such an honor to have Dr. Caroline Leaf back on the show. She is honestly so fascinating and her books are really profound when it comes to taking charge of our mental health. And I know the primary topic today is her book for children, How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess. But even if you're not a parent, we seriously discuss so many things in this episode that I really think everybody can benefit from listening and reading the book, honestly. It was that incredible. It really just shows you how our minds develop as kids, how we get these toxic thoughts, and how we can really use mind management tools to take charge of our life. And Dr. Leaf is so kind. We are actually doing a signed book giveaway. So go to my Instagram, find the signed book giveaway post, which I will be posting the day after this airs on Saturday and comment why you would like to read how to help your child clean up their mental mess to enter to win a signed copy. You can also enter in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. Find the Friday announcement post to enter to win a signed book copy of Dr. Leaf's fabulous new book. So I am so grateful for that. And like I said, we do dive deep into so many things in today's episode. We actually start off with something I'm a little bit obsessed with, the Mandela effect and false memories. What actually constitutes a toxic thought? The potential problems with CBT, the concept of helicopter versus safety net parenting. We talk about the role of perspective and empathy in a child's brain the role of dreams, and even how Dr. Caroline Leaf's neurocycle can affect our telomeres. This conversation is so fascinating. I cannot wait to hear what you guys think. So again, find the Instagram post about this and my Facebook group post and my group IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life to enter to win a signed copy. These show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash child mental mess. That's melanieavalon.com slash child mental mess. Those show notes will have a full transcript as well as links to everything that we talked about. So definitely check that out. If you're enjoying the show, the absolute best way to support it, I promise, is actually to just take a brief moment and subscribe and or write a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much more than most people realize. So thank you so much in advance for that. Speaking of podcasts, teaser, I think I might launch a third podcast. Details will be coming soon, but would you guys be interested in a podcast where I talk about mind-blowing things? Like not necessarily health and wellness, but just super mind-blowing stuff. I would have a co-host. 
I'm really excited about this idea. So if that sounds exciting to you, let me know because we're currently in the development stage for that. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you're currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experience the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? That's what I launched with, and to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body, so it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, it may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque, it can help alleviate pain, and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code MelanieAvalon, as well as a 20% off code when you text AvalonX to 877-861-8318. That's AvalonX to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to MelanieAvalon.com slash MDLogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys if you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, 
often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts and friends get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now before we change to subscriptions. You can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S. that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity? If you are using conventional skincare and makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare and makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up. And just endocrine disruptors in general, which mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum, they have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all Beauty Counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall20 to get 20% off site-wide. You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash cleanbeauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences, and I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a Band of Beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon Prime for clean beauty. You get 10 percent back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, And they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this fabulous conversation with Dr. Caroline Leaf. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while and it is with a repeat guest. I'm here with Dr. Caroline Leaf. She has actually been on the show twice before and for listeners, she was actually one of the very first guests on this show like episode, I think two or three way back in the day, which is really an honor. And then I had her on maybe a year or so after that. And now here we are now for her newest book, which is 
so exciting. So it is called How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess. And as listeners know, so I don't have kids. I don't know that I ever will have kids. I guess never say never, but we shall see. But in any case, I was really curious approaching the book, how I would experience it as somebody without kids and what I would learn about children and also what I would see about how this applies to my audience. And hands down, friends, I honestly think this should be required reading for parents everywhere. Like we should just instill a law because you will learn so much about how to really optimize your child's life when it comes to taking charge of their own thoughts and perceptions of the world and anything they might experience like anxiety or depression, trauma, sleep issues, all the things. And then it's not just kids. Like I kind of feel like this is a sneaky way to change the adults as well because everything in it really applies to adults, like I said, as well. So I really just cannot recommend this book enough. And what's super cool, I just got this in the mail. If you do have kids, if you are going that route, there's a super cute coloring book and a brainy, which we can talk about a a little plush toy that you can buy as well. That's just so cute. Yeah, Dr. Leaf, I have so many questions for you, but thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. That was such a beautiful introduction and and I appreciate that and and so so kind of you and I can't believe that was that I was the second guest back three what three four years ago. That's that's very special. So thank you for having me back three times. I'm very, very honored and it's lovely to chat with you. Always love chatting with you. Same. No, I am just so honored. So for listeners, there a lot of them are probably familiar with your work, but for those who are not, Dr. Leaf is a communication pathologist, an audiologist, a clinical and cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology and a BSc in logopedics, and she specializes in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. And this woman is everywhere. She has so many best-selling books. She's a renowned speaker. She's been on TV, the media, all the things. And I know you have to go for a book signing right after this, so we can um, just get into it. But to start things off, so I actually have a sort of unconventional question because we'll, we'll dive into the book and the neurocycle and the the steps that you have and how you work with children. A theme that goes throughout the book is this idea of reconceptualizing our thoughts and our memories. And I mean, we can talk more about that. But this idea of memories and reconceptualizing them, I recently have been going down the rabbit hole of the Mandela effect, which <laughs> which for listeners who are not familiar is basically this idea of mass false memories in the population, assuming you don't believe the theories about it being actual changes in reality, which that would be a whole nother topic. The point of all of this for me is, and an example of the Mandela effect, for example, is if you remember Chick-fil-A being spelled C-H-I-C or C-H-I-C-K or C-H-I-K, that is not correct. Or if you remember Berenstein Bears being spelled E-I-N at the end, that is also not correct. So it's these mass memories that people have that they say are not real. My question, so that was a big lead up. My question is, I've been thinking a lot about memory. So memory in general, for anybody, how much of it is real? Such a good question. I love how you set things up, Melanie. I just have to give you a little bit of a punt there. Just the way you set things up and you said something earlier on, and I promise I'm coming back to your question. You said that such raw, beautiful honesty about you, not a parent, and you were fascinated with how you were going to approach this book. That was such a great comment. And I'm glad you said that because it's the, it's 
it is like it's a you know it's a book for parents helping their child clean up their mental mess and, and you 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 got the vision that I had projected. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, this book is for parents for kids, but I'm telling you this is going to help parents them help themselves and inner child work and everything. So it's really the, the the easiest way to understand how we how memory forms basically. So the whole all my work has focused and I still do research as as I know you're well aware and publish scientific journals and we've got a big study underway at the moment that is on the time it takes to form memories into habits and so on. So in a nutshell, memory is basically data that is that will cluster together to form networks that we call thoughts. So a thought is actually made up of a memory in the same way that a tree is made of roots and branches. So if you think of a tree structure and you think of the roots and the trunk and the branches, the roots and and the, the, the branches would be the memories, the data. And they, they it's a dynamic force. So you could keep adding more memories to the roots and then that gets interpreted through the branches by the unique way you think, feel and choose and then grows more branches. So it's very dynamic and organic and can change and, and it's in flex all the time. So when something's actually happened to you or as you're going through life's experiences, which is literally all the time as you open your eyes in the morning you're building life into memory networks called thoughts into your mind brain body network or three three places you're doing that all day long and then at night time your mind sorts out those memories that you have built in that that are grouped into those clusters so memory is constantly being adjusted according to new experiences but the core thing that you've experienced is there so our stories never go away once you've experienced something, it's there with you forever, whatever forever is, which is another whole question that I know you'd be very interested to explore. So it's always there, but you can change how, what it looks like inside your mind, brain, and body connection, which is your psycho and neurobiological network, and therefore you can change how it plays out into your future. These memories that we have that cluster into thoughts are very powerful and have a lot of energy, and they pretty much drive how we function as humans. And if if we can look at the impact of the drive and we can stay driving in that direction or we can adjust the drive and make it more healthier, less health, whatever. We, we've got options. We can do a lot that we want with our memories. But the core memory tends to remain. It just shifts and changes and become as, as we have more experience. Does that answer your question or I can go into it in more detail? I don't know how sciencey you want to go. <laughs> I've heard that every time you retell a story or rethink about a memory, you reconceptualize it and change it. Is that accurate? It does. So your core memory will always be there. So like, like for example, let's say that this is at the peak of my mind because someone just actually asked me this question in a previous interview. Their child saw some really scary pictures of Chucky or whatever it is that Chucky, the, whatever that, at Universal Studios and this child was it's just like literally just seven and it gave this child nightmares. And so she was actually asking me how can that over time will those memories change? So And the, and, and the reconceptualization is really key here, Melanie, because reconceptualization means it's been redesigned. It's been reconstructed, deconstructed and reconstructed so that child will always know that they saw that picture but you've but the impact of that picture unless managed was caught it was unmanaged initially because the mom didn't know what was going on but the mom read the signals which was lack of sleep and nightmares and other behavioral issues that were starting to show up 
and emotional issues that were starting to show up. And then once they did, they actually used the neurocycle and they retraced the whole thing and found it was this picture. And then they had to do the reconceptualization. So yes, to your question, memories do change. Let's let's say, for example, another example, let's say that something triggers you from the past and like that, that memory comes up and you don't deal with it, but you just let it flash through your mind. So that, and I say, I should say memories, because what is actually activated is the thought tree that contains lots of memories, because every experience is never just one piece of data. It's a lot of stuff that clusters together. So when, when a thought with all of its embedded memories is triggered, it comes into the conscious mind. As soon as we consciously aware of something, the actual protein structure that the memories are made of inside the brain and the actual the changes inside of our body that happen right down that happen in in the cytoskeleton of the actual cells and the changes in the gravitational and electromagnetic fields of the mind all of those become vulnerable or open to change so if you just think about that trigger and you just focus on the negative aspects for example and just how bad it makes you feel or whatever and you don't do something about it the fact that you have had it activated, the fact that you've focused on it, whatever you think about is going to grow. And the fact that you didn't change it in any way, you didn't like try and re- reconceptualize it, you pretty much just embedded yourself inside that memory in terms of those the cluster of memories, in terms of just kind of reliving things or thinking it through, you end up making it stronger. So it never it never stays the same. It either gets changed. I mean, sorry, let me say this this way. It always gets changed. Either you're going to start the reconceptualization process where you're making it more manageable or you, if it's a healthy thought, you, you're growing that so it increases your resilience or you are ignoring it and choosing not to change. But the mere fact that you've paid it attention and allow yourself to ruminate, you've just made it stronger. So it goes back different and stronger and more toxic than before or it goes back reconceptualize so it never stays the same the same kind of idea but the strength and the impact that's what that's what's always changing okay gotcha okay i have some more questions from that but just one last question about these like false memories so what's happening when it's a completely seemingly false memory like with the mandela effect people remembering this movie called shazam from the 1980s that didn't exist like what's happening there like a completely false creation a lot of and this is i'm going to answer this kind of philosophically as well so 95 up to 95 percent in that region a large proportion of what we absorb through our mind and wire into these memory networks as still trees in our brain and mind and body we're not aware of that's huge so in other words, we are absorbing our environment, the politics, the conversations, the attitudes, the things we look at consciously and unconsciously. So unconsciously, we are like sponges. And that goes into the network. And our unconscious mind is scanning those networks to find whatever's destructive for us. So we've got this, our, our mind brain body network is on our side. It's always on survival side. And anything that's toxic disrupts the entire neurophysiology of the brain and body and increases your vulnerability to disease and therefore your survival. So the whole way that we are we work is to is for survival. So we so often in science term it we wired for love. On a on an electromagnetic, gravitational, quantum, chemical, biological, every level, atomic, every level, we wired for survival. 
Okay, so because of this fact that we are absorbing the environment, there's always a zeitgeist, you know, that I love that word because it shows the, you know, yeah, it's a great way of absorbing what's going on in the environment. And it's made up of a lot of factors, but things, because we all, connected there's a, there's an energy that's going between us nothing weird this is pure science and it's been people that have won nobel prizes and in mathematics some of the people that i follow that are like leaders in the world and big bang theory and and like nobel f- physicists and so on they they will talk about the fact that we that we are connected through energy basically i mean energy is what keeps us alive it's what keeps our heart t- heart pumping and our brain working and enables us to have this conversation and so on so that energy connects us. So therefore, when there's a, a zeitgeist, a certain sort of thing that's being absorbed, if I'm absorbing 95%, you're pretty much absorbing a similar 95% because we're in the same time period and yes, we don't live in the same state, but we are being exposed to very similar stuff. And then there's the additional stuff that we're being exposed to. So the point being is that whatever's going around will go into the collective memory. Whatever's being thrown out there goes into this into the collective memory, then it goes into us and we uniquely process that. So if we haven't kind of dealt with it, something then will trigger some situation, maybe some political event or something that you read in the media will trigger something or some, a conversation will be had and that triggers these things and that, that's how you think you sort. Or So it, it triggers these collective type memories. So it's, it's kind of like how myths are birthed as well because like people think it takes 21 days to form a habit, but it doesn't. It takes... It takes at least 60, somewhere between 59 and 66. And I'm doing another big research project on that at the moment, which is kind of very interesting. So in other words, if we consistently over time have got lots of exposure to these things, it wires into our networks and and it feels like it's true because it's in this non That's why you have to question everything and be curious about everything and and get factual accuracy on, on everything. So yeah, so they're like myths were at the twenty-one day. It was just it was a it was a, a neurosurgeon back in the sixties who knows from surgery that people heal in cycles of three, more or less three weeks with stem cells and all that kind of stuff, and that's a fact with bi- biologically. And so he just adapted that, and said, oh well, that must be how the mind works and how habits form. And so then it got in, and that just became part of the zeitgeist. I mean, it started and just grew like a wildfire. And so that's where we get these sort of collective concepts that grow and we absorb them without even knowing that we're absorbing them. And then it comes out as these sort of collective memories. I don't know if that makes sense. So the collective memory, it actually exists? It does because, and it's a lot, there's not just one. So the energy that's around us, we have our own biofield and that's what, basically it starts from the beginning. Our mind is this energy field. Without your mind, your brain just disintegrates, you're dead basically, your body just disintegrates. So the thing that's keeping you alive is your mind and your mind is this very complex concept that has two parts to it. One is a very physics-y type thing, which is gravitational fields and electromagnetic f- uh, forces and, and auditory sound waves and, and quantum waves and all this fancy stuff. And that's what drives the physiology of the body. It's what keeps our heart pumping and helping us, what's how we make cells 800,000 to a million every second and what is making our telomeres work, which make which are the ends of chromosomes and all this kind of stuff that our heart pumping, our lungs working. That's your, your your mind. Your mind is this energy force. So, and we all have our own unique energy force that drives us. So when we're dead, that mind, we don't know where it goes, but it goes somewhere. And that's unique to each person. But there's, we live within everyone else's, have got everyone else that's alive and whoever lived. And I don't know how, that's not my field of research, but basically people that, let's talk about people that are alive we are all generating energy out, affecting each other, and it 
most simple example is if someone's upset you and you try and hide it, other people can pick up that you're upset even though you might be smiling and pretending everything's fine or someone walks in the door and they're smiling but they you can sense something's wrong. You know, that's what we're talking about here. We are literally, from whatever we're thinking about, those thought trees in our networks, in our psychoneurobiological networks, are generating energy outwards. And so we there's a, a lot of energy fields crossing over. And then there's the collapsing of consciousness and all these things in the unconscious, like we're getting down some heavy philosophical scientific pathways here, but there's an energy force that's out there with all these humans interacting and it's very complex. This is so fascinating. The connection between, because you, you mentioned it now when you talk about it in the book, but the role of the, the non-conscious, the subconscious and the conscious, and you talk about how the you know, the information and the memories can go from the non-conscious to the subconscious to the conscious. I was wondering that relationship, is it push or pull? And what I mean is, does the non-conscious, like, and like the triggers that you spoke of, does it push it into the conscious or does the conscious go in and pull out those memories from the non-conscious or is it both? It's, it's what you want to do is you want to train it to be both. So the way that we function as humans, that mind that we spoke about, the mind, which is our, there's all those fields and everything and it's our aliveness. The other part of mind that, that I omitted to say in the previous question's answer, sorry, was that the mind is also the psychological thing of being able to think, feel and choose. So it's got a physics component and then it's got this psychological component of how we think, feel and choose. And that's how we show up in life. That's what enables us to be humans and experience life. So when we are awake, we're conscious and we are consciously aware of our surroundings and and that's actually only 10% of what's happening though. The other 95% is the non-conscious, that's the biggest part of us, that never goes to sleep, that's awake 24-7, that operates at speeds of 10 to the 27, which is beyond what we can even comprehend as humans and it's probably faster. It is all of this incredible driving energy force that's scanning our mind, brain, body networks, and that is like a gigantic, the easiest way to understand it is think of a gigantic forest that seems to just go on infinitely. And every experience that we've ever had from a certain, you know, sort of like literally just before birth to whatever age you're at now, is transformed by the mind into these networks inside of your mind, brain, body network. So thinking of a forest, because I mentioned trees, is an easy way to picture that. And if you imagine the middle of the forest is this network of beautiful trees, and that's what we call our wise mind. So our non-conscious is comprised of this wise mind that is like our inner wisdom, which all of us have. And even you can even pick this up in kids and an example of that would be if someone asks you for your advice you can give them great advice it's kind of harder to take give ourselves advice than it is to give someone else's we can always see like solutions to other people's problems that that's what i'm talking about this this wisdom thing we've got it the the mind is this the the, on the outside of the it's it's this non-conscious mind is this forest and the outside of the wisdom part are lots of trees too but they're different sizes and they're different colors and there's some toxic ones in between so think of little black clusters I'm just trying to paint a, a nice picture for everyone to imagine this and essentially what's happening is that the mind is the non-conscious mind is this forest being like searched or there's like this wind blowing through the forest looking for anything that's disrupting and then it pushes that through the subconscious which is a portal. Think of it like a bridge between the forest. Almost think of like a this forest being in like a bubble and there's a, a level above the forest, like a ceiling or something, and there's a doorway and that would be your subconscious. So your subconscious doesn't hold anything. It's a portal that transfers. And people and people often think the subconscious is where things are happening and the, and, and the unconscious is 
you know, where things drive us programs. That's incorrect. The non-conscious is a very, very active dynamic where every experience is happened is is stored and is that's our driving force. And the non-conscious has the ability to monitor what's driving us and to advise us when something's not good. <laughs> and when something's not when something is good, it also advises us to focus on that. And if it's bad, it advises us to focus on that in order to deconstruct it. So how does it do that? It sends messages through the subconscious, which is this doorway or portal, into the conscious mind. So the conscious mind then receives it, and the conscious mind is much, 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 much slower because it has a different role, which is to deliberately and intentionally pay attention to what's coming in and what's coming up through the non-conscious to be able to make good decisions because whatever you focus on is going to grow and be put back into the into the non-conscious and then become one of your drivers. So we can actually control that process because if we think, I don't want that idea inside my network because I don't want to think like that, you can actually stop that. You can stop building that in your brain mind-body network, you can also say, oh gosh, I've been thinking like that because of that, I can actually change that. You can you can rewire that. And it's that kind of deliberate intentional thinking that is conscious that then opens the portal or the doorway of the subconscious to then get you can then you can get easier access to the non-conscious. So you're kind of like you're tuning into the non-conscious and hearing the message. The non-conscious tries to get our attention through our emotions and our bodily sensations and our behaviors and our perceptions. That's how the non-conscious tries to catch our attention. And so a huge part of what I teach and what I've done research on all these years and what I did in therapy was to help people to see what is the non-conscious trying to make you aware of? What are you, how are you showing up? And then once you can recognize how you're showing up and you can learn to, which is pretty much, you know, this whole thing is active ingredient is self-regulation. This whole concept I'm talking about is basically mind management, managing your mind, managing your messy mind. When we start focusing on those signals, where do those signals come from? They've come from the non-conscious mind doing the scan. Non-conscious mind 24-7 is constantly scanning. When you go to bed at night, it's scanning again and it's preparing you for the next day and that's why we have dreams and all that kind of stuff. And so it's trying to catch your attention and it sends it through the subconscious into the conscious mind through signals. And so the whole, all the work that I do is looking at helping people to recognize the signals and then to deconstruct those signals and reconstruct them if they are toxic signals, disruptive to your functioning in whichever way, or if they are constructive signals that they're building your resilience and your intelligence and so on, then you focus on those to grow them even bigger. And that's kind of translated into real life that is dealing if I've got some bad habits or if I've got some traumas or if I've got some you know little things that irritate me and I'm getting kind of sucked into this irritation those are things you want to pay attention to because they're very disruptive to the psychoneurobiological network activate the immune system who doesn't see any difference between a, a physical threat like a COVID virus and a psychological threat like a trauma or a bad habit or a toxic pattern that we've developed so therefore our immune system will act be activated by a psychological experience as well as a physical experience, a physical thing. So bearing that in mind, if we don't deal with our stuff and we don't catch those toxic habits too much time on social media, getting influenced by that and dealing with our childhood traumas and dealing and adult traumas, whatever, trauma can come at any stage of our life, not needing those day-to-day -day irritations build. If we don't do that, we're creating very messy energy inside our mind-brain-body network that activates this immune response and it makes your brain, mind, and body work much harder. So we always want to listen to the signals from the non-conscious because it's protecting us. Does that make sense? It's a long answer. Hi, friends. 
do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show, like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys, and you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. I love it. (laughs) And for listeners, so basically all of this is in the book. And then it's also told in a way with an applicable program that you can do with your kids to, you know, teach all of this to them as well. Question about the, the toxic thoughts. Can you define a little bit more what qualifies something as toxic? And what I mean by that is, because just up front, I'm thinking, okay, toxic must be things that are like negative emotions or fear-based or things like that. But then I'm also thinking, don't we want to maintain that to actually keep us safe for actual real threats? So what determines what actually is toxic? Absolutely. That's an, it's an excellent question. And just, and by the way, you mentioned that the stuff's in the book. It's nothing as complex as what I'm saying. It's very simplistically written in the book. If you want more complex, my previous book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, has got it in a little bit more detail, but also still not as complex. And for the children, it's very simple. There's a simple chapter on the mind-brain-body connection where I explain this very simplistically. And I have little, uh, like little boxes in the book, gray boxes, and that's how you would explain these concepts to your children. My youngest patients were as young as two, and my kids have grown up with this. I have four adult children now. So the languaging of how to explain these complex concepts to children, I've put that in the book as well. Very simple. And children are also a lot more insightful than we give them credit for. They're very, 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 very able to they're insightful. They can see things. They, they they like authenticity. They can read body language. They may not have all the verbal skills and they may not understand why things are being done, And this, but they're very insightful. So you can't gloss over stuff with kids. It's really important that we give them the tools to understand the stories that are going on in their lives and to talk about the stories. So the, the system that I've developed called the NeuroCycle, which we'll talk about, I know Melanie already mentioned, we 
is is the system of how you do all this fancy stuff we've been talking about, how you find the signals and how you, you know, make them do all this fancy thing in the unconscious mind and change them and change the trees and all that stuff. So that's, I just wanted to, to emphasize that. So in terms of toxic, so I know toxic's got a lot of connotations, doesn't it, Melanie, especially in the world of wellness. So it's probably even better to say maybe the word disruptive is better. And so what we need to understand is that a thought is a cluster of memories, which I mentioned earlier. And memories are comprised of all kinds of stuff. It's data and data and behaviors and perceptions and emotions. So it's it's basically a cluster of events that things that happen. So there's the, if you think of the roots of a tree. So let's say now this is this conversation is a, is, is becoming a thought in everyone's brain. Our words are the that we and the questions you're asking me and the answers are the root system that that's forming. It's growing as we're talking at very very fast speeds. The tree trunk is how each person that's listening is uniquely processing what I'm saying through their unique way that they think, feel, and choose. No one processes it in the same way. And the branches are the result of how you uniquely think, feel, and choose this information that you're hearing. And then collectively, the roots, trunk, and trees influence how drive and influence how you show up. These trees are growing in the unconscious and they're going to move through the conscious mind into the subconscious into the conscious mind when activated. Now, let's say that I mean, this is a good discussion. So we're growing a healthy thought because it's constructive. It's going to help you with your mental health. It's going to help you if you have children. It's helping you understand yourself better. It's giving, by the end of the discussion, you're going to understand more about tools and so on. So it's a healthy, this is a constructive thought that is actually going to grow you as a person. A destructive thought would be anything along the lines of a day-to-day irritation to a bad ha- bad sort of, and I hate to say the word bad, but a, a habit that's disruptive like getting stuck on social media, whatever you think about the most grows, growing a tree around, I'm only acceptable if I look like X. And never, you're not dealing with that, then you look at the world through that view. Or everyone's gossiping about me, everyone's talking about me, I'm such a bad person, and being very suspicious. And just thinking about that, that would sort of be in the middle middle range of toxicity. And then your extreme, tox, sort of the extreme range where toxic thought is, is something like physical abuse, sexual abuse, war trauma, racism, things that happen to you that are uncontrolled, that haven't had nothing to do with you. They've happened to you and they're extreme. Violence and that kind of thing. Airplane crashes, car, you know, all the things that are the terrible things that happen in life. So if you think of this on a scale of one to 10, your least toxic thoughts would be your ones, twos and threes being the day-to-day struggles of life and frustrations and irritations of traffic and you know maybe your electricity going off or it's someone just your partner irritating you or whatever something breaking whatever so uh, to the the four five sixes and sevens being more along the lines of maybe you got reactive in, in a relationship about something that your partner does and you don't control it so it actually grows into a habit and you keep responding like that in that same way and it creates starts creating conflict in your relationship so that's now something that you didn't control and it grew into something and got stabilized as a habit over a period of time. And the time it takes to build a habit takes at least 60, 59 to 66 days. And then the eight, nines and tens would be those things that happen to to us that are extreme trauma, physical sexual abuse, war trauma, racism, and those kinds of things. So that's kind of the range of toxic thoughts. What we should be careful of doing is what is the language of the biomedical model, which is that your bad thoughts are 
bad and they're toxic or whatever, and they're symptoms of a brain disease and well, they're symptoms of a chemical imbalance and they need to be eliminated. The language of cognitive behavior therapy, and there's some brilliant techniques with cognitive behavior therapy, so I'm not knocking the techniques. And when they use at the right place in the right time, then they, they can be very helpful. If they use it in the wrong place, they, they don't do anything. It's to band it on the wound. And if anything, they can actually make you worse. Cognitive behavior therapy type techniques will say, well, that's the bad way of thinking. This is the better way of thinking. That doesn't sound bad at all. It's a very good idea. But the problem is that you can't just replace it. That's bad. That's a well-worn pathway. We're now going to practice a new pathway, and we're just going to focus on this. So every time you think of that, you're going to focus on this. Now, logic is there is a bit of logic in that, that that thought that you, the new thought that you're building, you're trying to make it stronger than the old thought. The problem is that you're building two parallel thoughts next to each other, and you're trying to make they, and they're in competition. And until you and until you and that's not the right way of doing it. What you want to do is you want to go into the toxic issue that's disruptive, and you want to re- deconstruct and reconstruct it and heal it at the roots. So the way we explain this to kids is that I mean I have pictures. I have a cartoon. You already mentioned the brainy character and the coloring book. I created a cartoon. Actually, 25 years ago, Melanie, I don't know if you know this, uh, with a Disney artist and used it in a book that I published in South Africa. And then I resurrected Brainy and got an artist to draw. So cute. I got an artist to draw. We've got 150, I think, renditions of Brainy. And Brainy is the su- he walks the mental health journey with you. And he's the superhero. And he has a superpower called the Neurocycle. And what he does is he, and it's his it's little brain. It's a plush toy with this cute little brainy head and this cute little body. And the whole idea is to show kids that you aren't your brain. You actually can change your brain, which is neuroplasticity. You actually empowered. And when you know how to manage your mind, you're managing your brain. So there's a lot of subtle messaging in that, that they don't feel hopeless and helpless because our current biomedical model is making people feel very, the research shows and patient survivors show that it makes people feel hopeless. Oh, I've got a brain disease. Oh, I've got a chemical imbalance, which is not even accurate scientifically anyway. My brain does get affected for sure and gets damaged if you don't deal with stuff and we've got to deal with that. But the cause isn't in the imbalance chemical. The cause is in what have you gone through or what are you going through on that scale of one to 10? You know, to, to tell a child who's been a consume the social media for days and days and weeks and weeks and beyond the nine-week period of looking at the, her friends at school or the perfect body image at school or something like that and on social media 24-7 and thinking, well, I have no value unless I look like that. That's a very strong, imprinted, wired-in toxic thought that's very disruptive to the brain and the body. Those proteins aren't folded correctly. So you can tell, explain this to a child by saying, look, Let's look in the garden. Look at all this, as you're going down the street and driving. Look at that beautiful big green tree. That's a happy thought. That's like when you had that great birthday party or you had that great conversation or this lovely thing happened when over Christmas time or whatever. And then you maybe see another tree that's kind of spindly and doesn't look that great and leaves are falling off and it kind of looks dead and old, but it's very much alive. That would be an example of a toxic tree. Now, in the book, I have brainy going up to the different types of trees and the healthy trees and kids get this. Two and three-year-olds will understand. You hold up Brainy and you show the pictures. And when, I, when you're sad and your brother steals your toy and that made you cry, that's made that kind of tree in your brain. But you want to make it like that tree. So it's that kind of languaging that is totally scientific but very simple languaging. I even have a developmental table in the book that shows you what you can more or less expect from a child between the ages of three to five, five to seven, and seven through ten. Because this book, this particular book goes through the ages two to three years of age, up to 10 years of age, so three to 10. And then my other work is basically from 11 onwards that you can use. 
And Melanie, we've also got the app, which I know you know about, the NeuroCycle app. And we're putting a parent add-on into the app. So there'll be scenarios that you can, to help you with your child, like if your child's scared of first day experiences like going back to school, there'll be a whole neurocycle guiding you through how to help your child and that kind of thing, which aligns totally with what I've got in the book with a whole lot of extra worked out neurocycles to help you. So basically the thought tree thoughts are, um, the toxic thoughts are the, the, the toxic trees that are proteins, if you want to get scientific, that are misfolded. And the energy inside the proteins, which is actually memory. Memory is vibrations inside of proteins, and they grow together to form branches, but they're all disrupted. So it's kind of chaotic. So I think of maybe like little mini tsunamis inside these little contained areas, and that disrupts everything around it, and it forces and changes the, 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 the shape of the, the protein. And so it's like all... And it's not healthy. That's why I'd say toxic-looking tree. And then your immune system of your brain will start sending out immune factors to fight that. And that's what I was saying earlier on, that your brain doesn't, your immune system of your brain and body doesn't distinguish between psychological threats and physical threats. It sees them in the same way. And if you don't eliminate the source, which is that deconstruction, reconstruction process. So let me take the word eliminate out. If we don't deconstruct and reconstruct and fix up that experience to make it into one that's not disruptive, then your brain is constantly under stress. Your body's constantly under stress. And then over time, that changes the health of your cells, which over time will increase your, in your vulnerability to disease by a huge percent. And so we've shown in our research that if you teach mind management to, cho- to children and adults, that you can increase a person's biological health by up to, you know, like literally one of our subjects in one of our clinical trials gained 35 years of biological health in nine weeks just through mind management. So, you know, that's how there is an impact on our brain and our body from toxic thoughts. But we, we've got to manage them. And obviously, if it's a one, two, and three toxic thought, that's not going to have quite the same damage, damage to your brain and body as a seven, anything higher. And that's why it's so important we deal with our stuff. We'll put links for listeners in the show notes to the prior books and the app and all the things. For measuring the the 35 years, was that like a blood test or was it measuring telomeres or how did you measure that? Telomeres. So we do, yeah. So so the research that, that we do with my team, we look at the most important thing is we look at the person's narrative, the story. Who are you? What's going on in your life? What's happening? Most important, we want to describe, not diagnose. In our current biomedical model, it's very much symptom diagnose and aim a treatment that works beautifully for the physical brain and body, but doesn't work well when it comes to issues of life. We have to be much broader. So we look at the narrative, we look at psychological measures and self-regulation measures. I have a validation scale that's been validated, which means that you can look at how a person is self-regulating. The less self-regulated we are, the more the less managed our mind is and the more messy we become. Messy mind, messy brain, messy body, messy life. You can always fix up the mess, okay? So it can be a mess, but fix up the mess. Okay, so then we also look at the brain. I use QEG because the brain, the, we look at the frequencies in the brain, which is very accurate because we get a lot of, in terms of how the brain is responding to the current moment, and you can get a pattern average over time, but it gives you millions of bits of information per second on an energy level, which is very, very accurate. And then we look at as well at the body. 
So we look at things like, obviously, the obvious ones, cortisol, but ACTH. We even look at things like prolactin, which is a hormone that is in males and females, generally associated with women that are breastfeeding, but it's also in males. But there's very interesting research showing that it's linked to how we manage our stress levels. So there's an ideal range based on whether you're male or female, whether you are whatever age you're at, and Based on that, we've, we see from the research that if it goes out of that range, which then it's a problem. And it's very often knocked out of that range with the, uh, if we don't manage our minds. So, if we, you know, we, all those scale of 1 to 10, those toxic thoughts, if we don't manage them, it affects our prolactin as well. And, and all these other ACTH, DHEA, we looked at a lot of different things. And then we also looked at telomeres. And telomeres are the ends of chromosomes and chromosomes unwind into DNA. And telomeres are very involved in your cell, cellular renewal, cellular turnover. And we are always making new cells. We make 800,000 to a million, somewhere, somewhere in that region, every second. So pretty much our body is constantly over time renewing itself. But we see that the quality of those cells is based on the quality of the telomere, which is like if, if you imagine making an X with your two fingers, that chromosomes look like Xs, then your fingernails would be the telomeres. And telomeres are activated by something called telomerase. And telomerase is very, very influenced by your mental state. So if the telomeres, they get, they do get shorter over time. So as you get older, naturally the telomeres will shorten. And when telomeres shorten, then you're not as strong and healthy. And that's part of the aging process. But you don't have to, you know, you, you can, you can, longevity is a real thing. You can, you can age in a much better quality way. So you can influence how you age and the quality of your telomeres. And the biggest factor there is we've thought for years it was pretty much diet and exercise. Those play a big role, but mind plays an even bigger role. So Lisa Eppel, I'm sure you've heard of her. She's and Elizabeth Blackburn are the leaders in when it comes to telomere research. And they actually reached out, Lisa Eppel reached out to me. Because of her research, I decided to include it in my research and to see because generally they didn't think telomeres could change not they, but the science, the world of science didn't think that telomeres could change in under five years. And But telomerase, the, an enzyme that activates it, changes very quickly. So most research was done on telomerase. And then some people, Lisa Eppel and co, started looking at telomeres and found that they could change in shorter periods of time with things like meditation and so on. So I started doing research and we found that with mind management, using the system called the NeuroCycle that I've developed, that you can actually increase significantly, statistically significantly increase the length and influence the decreasing length when you use mind management. So we found with our subjects that use the neurocycle and that the case of that 35-year gain, that was a, one of the subjects in the, in the, in the clinical study that particular, and that this particular study that I'm talking about and the stuff that I'm talking about is in my other book, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, which you, you actually interviewed me about in the last podcast. And I reference the same research, but very simplistically in the children's book, a parent's book, I should say, for children. But essentially, this one person at the beginning of the study was in the mid-30s and all of her, everything, the brain, psychological brain and all the biological Tests, evaluations showed that she was had a body of a sickly 65-year-old, pretty much had given up on life. She was, actually was suicidal when she entered the study and was just, you know, had done everything, had every diagnosis, polypharmacy, had, was just so tired. And within 
21 days, she had her life had transformed. She'd been very badly abused as a child, and she'd suppressed all these years. And just this, the, she she actually felt worse at day 21, because but it was a different worse. She said it's she feels worse. She's grieving now because she she suddenly realizes that, that the neuro cycle opened up her mind, her neuro, her unconscious mind, subconscious to allow the 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 trauma to come through to the conscious mind, and that was she was grieving for for what had happened which she had suppressed all those years, but the suppression had basically played havoc with her health. And she, all of her biological readings were terrible. Like she literally had a body of a sickly 65 year old. And within nine weeks, her telomere length, all of her biological readings, everything had restored back to the correct levels for her age. So it was literally, if you look at biological aging, which is the age of your cells versus chronological, which is your actual age, you want them to be as close to each other as possible, preferably your biological age younger. Like mine is, I think, nearly 12 years younger than my chronological age. But you definitely don't want your biological age older than your chronological age. And this person did, started with more, almost 35-year-old chronological age, and then that went down to the actual age, close to the actual age once by the nine weeks into the study. So obviously we've, you know, we're replicating, there was other subjects too, we're replicating that, we're doing more research on that, but we've got a lot of people now interested to see and take this research a little further. So that's what you're doing with your kids. You know, if you come at it on a proactive level, we, we want to, as as throughout our life, we have to manage our mind. Your mind drives you 24-7, so we need to manage our mind 24-7. We need to go to bed managing our mind. We need to be managing our mind. Otherwise, we get into these overwhelm, burnout, can't cope. And when our mind's messy, we don't see things clearly, as we all know. And that can accelerate into quite severe brokenness in our minds, which can lead to all kinds of, of things, sick signals shooting out at us, like, you know, broke a really broken, traumatized mind can, you can hear voices and, you know, there's a lot of psychosis and those are not illnesses. Those are just signals of a very, very, very broken mind that completely disrupts functioning. So we don't want to, to reach those levels. We want to be able to get, harness this in and, and work through it. And that's, that's pretty much what the neurocycle is doing. And we want to be proactive about this. So we want to start not just fixing up on the back end, but we want to be proactively teaching children from as young as we possibly can how to be able to recognize that when I feel this way, I'm not broken. It's okay to be a mess. There is a way of getting through this. I have a, you know, the tools to, to tell my narrative. Even that two-year-old who doesn't have the linguistic skills, they can pick up Brainy, and that's a signal to mom that there's something wrong. You know, if you're following the systems, Brainy becomes the tool of you know, your mental health journey and that kind of stuff. So that's what I've tried to be proactive from both angles, not just coming from the one back end, but from the front end as well. Hi, friends. Okay, so I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near-infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near-infrared for so long. And at the same time, during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near-infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? 
I found the solution. And guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved a natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, it was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus or SCN in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time, that's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near-infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an ear infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. This is so incredible. I know listeners are really going to love hearing all of that about the chronological and biological aging. And I did want to mention for listeners, there's a really awesome section in the book about labels with children. And so if your child has been labeled with something like ADHD, there's just a whole dive into that and how to use a neurocycle to deal with labels. So question about, because you were mentioning you know, how much a two-year-old understands 
a profound change I've had since reading your book is I, I literally view children differently now. Like when I watch them interact with the world, I see them now through a different lens that they're understanding and grasping more. And I thought it was so cool how you talk about how their non-conscious is developing faster than their conscious. And so that's why they, they you know, use things like fantasy to and stories to interact with the world and explain the world and give their perspective. It's just so fascinating. I had a question about all of that because you have a, a big section on identity and the role of empathy and how it relates to bullying. And I'm so fascinated by empathy. And I was wondering, because you talk about how kids have empathy much younger than we thought they did originally. I was wondering what's the evolution of empathy in children and specifically like the two different types of empathy. So like a child seeing a child or an adult. So like seeing something painful, for example, like physically painful, for example, and feeling the the physical pain of that versus seeing somebody who looks sad. So you have to like come up with a whole story in your head about why they're sad. So like a more evolved version of empathy. What is the evolution of empathy like for, for children? I love the fact that it's helped help you look at children differently. It 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 it, it does, doesn't it? When you when you dive in and you see what we're capable of and how great it is to be able to grow this resilience in these kids and teach them these things. So empathy is one of those key ways that you can combat bullying. So the, in terms of the evolution of of empathy, empathy is is a is a word that we is used a lot and it's kind of thrown around a lot as well. And, and it it should be, but it's essentially just being able to tune into others and to try to identify with others and what they're going through. And it's not assuming that you understand what they're going through because you can never fully even like partially understand another person's experience. And it's really critical as parents that we recognize that because what may seem to you like, oh, that's not so bad, for them it is so bad. And, you know, parents have such an incredible influence on children in terms of we might say, oh, you said this, and that is like it can crush them, and we didn't mean to crush them. But it was it it, it activated. They so tuned into to you, and you you tuned into them. But the their, their empathy is growing, and it's incredibly sensitive. And children are always very very sensitive to the parents and the, the caregivers in their life, and vice versa. And and it grows through into adulthood and evolves and becomes deeper and deeper. And obviously, as you mature, we can start seeing that. Oh well, they didn't mean that, and you can start being more curiosity and things into the the scenario but right from very young children are very aware right from I mean there's some experiments that I stand corrected but as I think it was at four months already they can pick up that a child is able to see another person's pain and see another person's that something's not right and and I mean how they do these experiments is incredible but it, it from 18 months it's very very clear if not even sooner that you know if someone hurts himself or the dog hurts himself or something like that they're very you know they're aware of that and the tuning into others pains like a, like young children can see a mother being so father or whatever being sad and will go up and touch their face or something like that. So it's that key ability to tune in to another person. And bullying is, I mean, I, I, I use it and I talk about it in, in the book that it's a key way because someone who's bullying someone, for example, is they've been bullied. There's, no one shows up for no reason in the way that they show up. So bullying is a behavior. We show up with signals. We show up with 
our emotional signals, our behavioral signals, our perspective signals, and our bodily sensation signals. Bullying is a behavioral signal. It's a signal that gives you information. So it doesn't make the bullying right, but what it does tell you is that the bullying is coming from somewhere. A way to combat bullying is through empathy because then you empathize and think, okay, well, maybe that that other person, it doesn't make it right and I do need to protect myself and get the protection that I need from the bullying. But to look at that person differently, that the way you feel being bullied by that person, you can be sure that they are feeling that exact same thing and they're having an experience and it's building into a toxic tree and that toxic tree with all those vibrations generates an energy that feels absolutely overwhelming. And either person, I mean, there's many different ways that people respond to that. Some, some will bully with that explosion of energy, some will withdraw, some will break things, some will get angry. You know, these different ways that affect concentration, it can lead to, it's just so different for everyone. But the, it, for, to help someone process bullying, to see that that other person and, 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 and is, is bullying. You know what we've also done, just in terms of the series, what we're doing is we're also bringing out a series of storybooks. And the very first one is Brainy gets into a situation with a, another brainy character called Lobi, who's a bully. And it turns out that his father bullied him and we've got this whole quantum universe. And so we're writing stories now to that will go along with this whole kit that help to understand how to apply these your superpower. And it's all in story form and it's all very engaging. But empathy is huge in that. So it's understanding also you want them to have their own point of view. So another thing is, is in evolution is if you as a parent are having a bad day and you using the neurocycle, the best way to help your child with their mental health is for you to help yourself with your own mental health and for you to be honest and open and, and obviously age level appropriate, detail appropriate. But if you are having a bad day, if someone has said something to you and it's thrown you off and you try and hide it, they are so insightful. Kids, no matter what age they are, whether they're two or whether they're 22, they will see something is off and they honor and respect authenticity as humans we love authenticity kids are especially tuned into authenticity they're also very tuned in to read body language so you might think you're hiding things but your face the way you move your body they pick that up and they also they respond to modeling so therefore empathy is very well developed in a i mean there's a great way of developing empathy in a child is by use you come, you you know, you come in from you have this phone call, let's say for example, or you come in from a bad day at work or something, and maybe you walk in and you're just not as you're just trying to hide it, but you can't, and you're just not full of the same bubbly energy or whatever it is. Whoever you are, you're different, and you think you're hiding it, but your kids look at you, and if you don't, you know, say something, they may keep quiet, depending on your relationship, depending on the child, or they may say, "What's wrong, mommy?" or something like that or whatever, and if you say, no, nothing, I'm fine, that's not authentic. They know something's wrong. So they will think you're hiding something from them, which is not good because identity and everything get challenged. So it's far better to say, oh, thank you for noticing. I, I do feel, I feel very sad. I feel like my heart's beating really fast. I just, you know, I don't feel like doing much at the moment. I don't feel very excited. And, you know, today's just not going very well. I've done all four signals. I've identified my behaviors, body sensations, emotions, and perspective in a, in a short little explanation. And then you can, that's the first step of the neurocycle. And then you could go into saying the next step is called reflection. And I'll come back and resummarize the five steps if you want after I've explained this quickly. And the next step is to then reflect and to say, you know, why am I feeling like this? I'm, I'm feeling like this because I had this really, really difficult phone call with someone that I really care about and then you the third step is to to get that out of your brain and to open up that 
subconscious portal and you do that by writing all over the page so it's not journaling it's like a mind dump where you just put words and phrases and whatever comes to mind draw pictures draw squiggles and whatever all over a page so it's a great to have a little corner somewhere in your home that you can call a neurocycle corner and in that you have a little, a little cushion or a chair or something beautiful and maybe a little toy box with art supplies and brainy and the book. And and when you go, like, make your way over as you're talking to your kids and go sit there. And so that's the signal to them that, okay, I'm messy. It's okay to be messy. This is how I'm managing it. You're teaching them it's okay to be a mess. We don't have to pathologize and medicalize misery. It's normal part of humanity. We're going to be better for it. We're going to develop our empathy, etc. And you go over to that and you start going through this process of the neurocycle. I'll explain the rest of it in a moment. That is generating this empathy. It's You are generating a literally a field that's going to activate the, their natural empathy. They're going to see you. They're going to connect with you. They're going to collaborate with you. They, they are tuning into you and so on and so on. Does that make sense? That's just so awesome that parents can use their own struggles as an opportunity to teach children or cultivate their empathy. That's a great like reframe. Yeah, it's it's a, it's it really does. You can help them cultivate. So they they start learning that they that other people have emotions and, and I can actually help them and and that makes them they love that. Uh, children naturally respond so well to that. I mean we all like to help each other. You know, they recognize feelings in themselves and others and they start being able to name them. It's all these kinds of things. They can regulate their own they can start learning to regulate their own emotional responses. So the demonstration aspect is is fantastic in terms of developing empathy and, and so on. And it evolves through, through from childhood all the way through adulthood. And, and we can we can actually help it evolve quicker. We can actually, the more we self-teach self-regulation, the better. So I often say, Melanie, that the mind management is what we're trying to do. We're trying to manage our minds because our minds basically put the, put the networks together and influence how we drive ourselves. So we want to manage our minds and managing our minds means that there's self-regulation. So initially with the young child, you're co-regulating, eventually getting them to self-regulate. And then with each new behavior that you're helping them to learn, in this process, you're developing things like empathy. So the active ingredient of mind management would be the self-regulation. And in the system to make all this happen is called the neurocycle. So the neurocycle is literally a system. It's not a new technique. It's not a new therapy. It doesn't replace meditation and mindfulness and CBT and affirmations and all the fantastic wisdom that's out there in terms of things we can use to help with our mental health. It's simply the system within which that you organize system within which you put those in the right places that they actually do create the changes in your network, therefore do create the changes in what drives you and that they actually become useful because you don't want to make changes that you can't use. You want to make changes that you can use. And so the neurocycle done correctly over time is allows you to, to make those changes. Yeah, I loved that paradigm shift I had reading the book about these techniques you just touched on, like meditation and breath work and movement and them being, you know, tools. And you have a section on, you know, brain preparation and this idea also of a like an emergency kit type thing. But then the system, like the neurocycle is the actual entire system to change things and to function through. One other question, as far as children being exposed in the first place to potential events and situations that can ultimately create these, quote, toxic thoughts or dysfunctional thoughts, how do you feel about, you call it helicopter parenting versus safety net parenting? It's so important. There's a little section in the book on that as well. So with our momfluence and Instagram social media world that we live in, 
and even before social media, there was there was still you know there was a big sort of move, and I think it was the nineties where the the, the the I'm just going to call it momfluencers, but this sort of perfect parenting and has kind of evolved. There's been a lot of emphasis on what it means to be a perfect parent, and I think the pressure has literally devolved into the potential to helicopter parent, which is hover over your kids and they don't get enough time to be curious and have unstructured play. And the intentions are great. They are to protect your child and especially all the scary things that are happening and with access to technology and all these increasing mental health crises. It's really scary being a parent in this day and age. So you want to do as much as you can to protect your child and if possible wrap them in bubble wrap. But that does not help them because that doesn't build resilience. It actually makes them weaker. It can breed entitlement it's the, it'll create the opposite of empathy you know and, and the opposite of empathy we've now starting to border on things like narcissism entitlement and that doesn't bode well for future relationships and when things do happen and they get knocked sideways which will happen in life it's inevitable they don't know how to get up you know we've got to teach our kids how to fall and get up so helicopter parenting is very much one of trying to do everything for your child, assume you know how they think, trying to anticipate everything, trying to make everything as smooth as possible. And as I said, the intentions are absolutely honorable. As a parent myself, I understand that. But that's not going to help your child. At the end of the day, it does not. It, it actually will mask our natural resilience. Our wide for love nature is resilient. And the resilience is activated through hard work of taking, going through the knocks of life. It's very much like if you go and have a surgery, you've got to be cut up to be healed. So you go through the pain first. If you're training to be an athlete, you go through a lot of pain first. So that principle we get when it comes to things like surgery and sport or learning a musical instrument, somehow when it comes to the mind, there's there's a disconnect. And we need to allow our children to you know, to work through the process of experiencing the, the pain. And so therefore, it's better to be a safety net parent. And I use that analogy because it's very different to the hovering analogy. So you think of an acrobat in a circus and they can climb up to different levels and think of a really, really, really tall pole with maybe about 10 or 20 different levels where they could stop off on and then one is pretty pretty close to the safety net and one is really far from the safety net and they're going to do all these acrobatic things like swing on a swing or get caught, you know, catch someone else catches them and they jump from whatever, all these amazing things that that they do. You know, that those maybe they walk a tightrope. So these the, these represent the challenges of life. And what we want our kids is to be uh, allowed to climb that ladder and get onto that level that they're on and to jump onto that swing and fall. And you're there to catch them, but you've you're you have moved from getting up there with them, putting a safety harness on them, jumping on there with them, doing the swinging with them. So they pretty much didn't do anything. You're going away from you on the ground and you are holding up a safety net and you're going to let them go up on their own and to the first level first and so, so on and so on. And if they fall, they fall into the safety net. And that looks like you saying, okay, I, you know, that was really hard. I, I understand that, that this is hard. I mean, I don't understand exactly what you're going through because it's your experience, but I'm here I want to understand. I want to try and help you. Let's talk through. And you'd go through the neurocycle to help them learn from the experience. And this is where the whole concept, as you mentioned earlier, the theme of reconceptualization goes through the book is that you're getting them to learn how to solve problems. And that's a skill that you build over time, initially very co-regulated. And then eventually they're on the top rung where they are, you know, falling. It's, the, the fall might be much further and much harder 
and this is generally as the child gets older and older and reaches adolescence and even early adulthood, you still, you know, that's even more important that you you, you lower the safety net further and further and you, they, they, as they climb higher and higher into the experiences of life. It's incredibly important to be careful that you don't co-regulate too much with your adult children and you don't, what's the other, we create codependency. That happens a lot if we have a helicopter parent. You've still got to let them fall and crash. Sometimes they're going to crash really badly because they're falling from a very big height. But you there always is a safety net facilitating. And facilitating is sometimes may look very harsh and it's boundaries, it's creating boundaries, it's all of those, that language that we use, it's very much in that vein of um, and encouraging curiosity. You're a facilitator. You don't assume to understand the experiences. You assume to try and explore and help them be curious about the experiences and offer wisdom at the right place. The recheck, the fourth step is where we offer our wisdom as parents and adults. And I've thrown out a word which I didn't explain earlier, so maybe we should dive into what the neurocycle is. Sure, sure. So does that answer your question, though? Did, did I answer? Oh, yeah. No, it did. It definitely did. Yes. I'm intimidated by, I think that's, again, going back to me and having children or not, I think one of the things that intimidates me the most is that perfect parent culture that existed. It's, it's very overwhelming as far as, like, standards. It's very overwhelming. It causes... Yeah, it's standards and, you know, it's very much like the uh, the diet culture, the body image culture, the whole. Yeah, it's similar. Yeah, it's gone, it's fallen into that kind of bracket and it's unfortunate because there's some really, really good information out there, but you can feel so, so, I mean, I know with my own four children that are adults now, but when they were at school, I mean, I'm a working mom. I always have been. I've been a researcher my entire life. I'm a better mother for doing what I do. I would not be a good, and I have nothing against stay-at-home moms. That's a choice you make. Whatever choice you make, you need to make sure that you make it because it's what you as a mom need as a human. Forget being a mom for a moment, what you need as a human. Because if you're satisfying who you are, it's the oxygen mask principle, you're going to be a better mom. But, oh, my gosh, I came into so much fire, Melanie, for not being there 24-7 and not attending absolutely everything and being at the PTA mom and all that. I didn't do any of that stuff. I was always there for my kids, but they had to learn to to cope and to to deal with things and whatever. So, yeah, it's it's very intimidating and, and it, it, it's very – it can be, and that's why I try to encourage parents that, you know, messy parenting is – be messy. It's okay to be a mess as a human. It's okay to be a messy parent. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to do all those things. Just learn how to manage it. And that way you can have so much more compassion for yourself. So the neurocycle is kind of like flying a plane. <laughs> it's a, kind of the easiest way to explain it. So uh, the overarching concept of the neurocycle is that it is how you can rewire the psychoneurobiological network, how you rewire the mind-brain-body network. Why do I need to rewire networks? Because those are the things that drive me. Okay, that's what we've been saying so far in this discussion. So there's some... and the, those are the things that come through the from the non-conscious to the conscious mind, those networks. So we want to try and find the networks by recognizing the signals, and then you want to go and deconstruct and reconstruct those signals, those, uh, those networks. Those networks are tree-like structures made of roots and branches, as I've mentioned, which is all the memory. They look like trees in the brain. They look like changes in what we call the microtubules, which are the cells of the body. The body's there's the, the skeleton of the cells of the body. That's where our memories are stored in our cells as well. That's why memories are in, memories cluster together into the brain and the body, and that's why our experiences are embodied. And then in the mind, it's a gravitational field. 
electromagnetic field and all that stuff. So that all that science is very complex. And so therefore, in order for us to to grow something in our brain and experience, in order for us to, to get to change it if we need to, requires a very specific process. So the neurocycle is the process for basically how we do that. And as I said, you can put all kinds of things into it. So what I found with my research, doing all this psychoneurobiological research and clinical application over these almost 38 years now, is that we go through very distinct phases in rewiring our drivers that are in our network. And the first thing we do have to do is prepare the brain. And you mentioned the brain preparation. There's a whole chapter on that. Brain preparation includes things, as Melanie already mentioned, like breathing and meditation and mindful awareness and things like, let's touch, let's talk, let's name five things we can see and four things we can smell. And, you know, all those kinds of activities that are almost distracting in a good sense and that help to calm down the neurophysiology, the chemicals and the energy waves and all that kind of stuff, which can get very riled up when something is happening or has happened or we triggered or whatever. So we always start with brain preparation. You don't have to make it long. You'll see in my book and in my app that you could do these in like a few minutes or two. So you can count five things with that you see and four things that you smell and so on. You can do that in under a minute. You can do a breathing exercise like breathe in for three and out for seven and very forcefully out for seven, which pushes oxygen and blood flow to the front of your brain helping you to think more clearly. So three in, seven out is 10 seconds. So the brain preparation doesn't have to take long, but if you do need long, if if your child or you are very worked up, then you want to decompress more so you can do, you know, slightly longer. And I've got examples of the quick ones and the, the more decompression type activities. But the point is prepare the brain. Otherwise, it's very hard to do good, deliberate, intentional flying the plane stuff. So let's think of quickly flying the plane. A pilot, when they're just about to take off, they have... First, do a check. They prepare with their co-pilots and their co-pilot. The pilot, the co-pilot, the engineer, the checklist. There's a whole planned and guided sequence that they go through to prepare for to fly that plane. And so the brain preparation is that equivalent. Then the pilot takes off. The first step of the neurocycle is called gather awareness, and that's the equivalent of taking off. Very planned, very guided, very organized, following instructions from the tower. It's not just some random, I'll just do any old thing and take off. It's very, very specific, the whole flying process. And so is the gather awareness. When you And what do you gather awareness of? You gather awareness of how you're showing up, the four signals that I've been mentioning throughout. And so you basically gather awareness of what are my emotions, bodily sensations, behaviors and perspectives those four are always linked you can't just prepare your brain you can't just gather awareness you also can't just gather awareness of one thing be very good at saying let's talk about our feelings this is a day and age of let's talk about our feelings everyone's talking about their feelings now that's great and most books in target and all over the place for kids let's talk about our feelings circles at school let's talk about our feelings fantastic but if you just talk about your feelings you're going to crash because you bring things up that you haven't managed. So it's like the pilot's taken off. If the pilot doesn't know how to fly the plane, the pilot's going to crash. So once we've gathered awareness of our feelings, you've got to also find like the pilot's got to fly these various rules he's got to follow, she's got to follow. Basically, you have to, emotions never live alone. You have to find the behaviors, the bodily sensations and the perspectives. And then, and it's very specifically laid out in the book for how to do this with kids as young as two and three, all the way through through 10. And then it's very clearly laid out for older people in the other book, for adolescents and adults. And it's it's you, you do it age appropriate. Like you're not going to tell a, a child of two 
What is the emotion you're feeling? You're going to pick up Brainy or something and say, oh, I see Brainy's really sad today. And I wonder why Brainy's so sad. And I see, oh, Brainy's got a sore tummy. Okay, emotions, bodily sensation. And Brainy's kicking the kicking the chair. I don't know why Brainy's kicking the chair. Behavior, perspective. Brainy really seems very like he doesn't, not at all happy about life today. Well, brain is very upset about life today. So it's outlook. How's so you use emotion words to describe it, but it's outlook in that moment or that day or in the whatever. I've just done that's what you how you do with a young child. So that's taking off. Then you've got to fly the plane. So steps two, three, and four are reflect, write, and recheck. And those three steps are flying the plane. I'm going to explain each of them briefly in a moment. Then you would do, then once the pilot's flown the plane, very organized, very deliberate on a pathway. If they move, like if they move slightly off the pathway, it's picked up by the tower, they get radioed. If they don't do this over, it's all very organized. So is this. It, to your brain responds to, your brain, mind, and body network respond to organization. So if you haphazardly do a bit of meditation, a bit of why statement, a bit of an affirmation, those don't, don't they're not going to achieve the goal. The more organized, the better, otherwise you crash and keep crashing. And then that in itself is very frustrating and the mean sort of, it can lead you down a negative pathway. So the reflect is the second step. That's flying the plane, and it's the why. Why am I, Why is Brainy feeding like this? Why is Brainy doing these kicking in the chair and so on? It's the getting more detail about those emotions, getting and the and the four signals. Then you're going to write that all down. It's and it's not in, as I mentioned earlier. It's not in a journal. It's all over the place. And the reason for all over the place that stimulates the brain mind body connection differently and gives you more insight and pulls things up things up that you didn't think were there. With a young child who can't draw, it can be dramatizing. I mean, who can't write, it can be dramatizing. It can be drawing squiggles. So it's very good to have a designated area that I've already mentioned when I gave the adult example. In your area, in your house where you maybe have painted a wall with chalk paint or something, and you have an art supply, a big journal or something, a big you know, blank pages that you can draw on. And the whole idea here is the, the more messy, the better. Then the fourth step is to now make sense of what's come up. So if a bunch of, there's like a whole lot of pictures and, and if your child's not writing yet, they maybe tell you something and you write that down or they demonstrate it and you maybe draw that picture and, and they add to the picture and then you write a word. Even if they're not literate, it's very good to teach them reading and understand the word picture association and that kind of stuff. So you, you build a lot of skills. It's also very collaborative, very good for deep, meaningful relationships. So you're creating a, a really, there's just so many things that are being achieved by the whole process, the recheck step is now making sense of what's written there, looking at everything and seeing the patterns, the triggers, the what's going on. So that picture of the example of the child earlier on with the picture, you'd give it the signals, you'd reflect on that. Why, how's it making it, why is it making you feel, get more details on the, the why would give you more details on those four signals. Then they'd write it down and that's where they would maybe draw pictures of um, scary faces. And, you know, as they're drawing, things will come up and, and maybe what shows up, which is, oh gosh, they saw this picture. The parent didn't know they saw this picture. They've seen other pictures. They at a friend's house, they saw something else. They've been, there's a few things and they have, they think this causes that and that that evil person's going to come under their bed if they do this, whatever. They, there's a scenario that's built in their mind and the third step starts to bring that up. So the fourth step is for you to say, help them speak about that and then to help them to reconceptualize it, to say, okay, this is what's happened, what we're going to do about it. This is why you can't sleep. This is not real. This is real. This is, this is why this is scary. Let's see why it's scary. Let's not make it not scary, that kind of stuff. And then the active reach is the four steps accumulate into a little action. What can we do to help you? So maybe tonight when you go to sleep, 
You're going to draw, let's before you go to sleep or even now, let's draw a picture of what you rather want to think about. So every time the scary picture comes up, which is not so scary anymore, because as soon as you talk about things, you get power over them. You can then think of the, the happy picture that you've drawn or the happy picture that you chose. Maybe you cut out a picture or there's a happy photo or something like that. And you practice during the day. You practice every time there's a bad thought. Mommy, I'm having a bad thought. Then you can go grab Brainy and squeeze Brainy or think of that picture in your mind or whatever. So you're practicing reconceptualizing. So essentially what the, the, the child is doing through this whole preparation and five steps from the taking off to the landing of the plane is they are driving the energy through the brain and rewiring the networks, weakening the toxic ones, changing the root system. You're not pulling the tree out because you cannot change what's happened. It's happened. It never goes away. It's there forever, but you can change what it looks like. This is that whole question at the beginning. Can you change memories? So you, you actively and deliberately changing the memories. With children, what we do is, and this is all in the book with examples and images and cartoons. So you can use the cartoons to teach children this as well. Is we talk about that's the that's the sad tree that didn't make you happy. And let's and then as we do these steps, what we're doing is we're going right down and we're going to dig the sand off around the roots and we see, oh my goodness, look at that part of the root is so rotten. There's a good little healthy part that side, but this is why the tree looks like this. And the root that root is then the ugly picture in the scenario that we've created and the scary picture and the other scary pictures and the conversation, the video that they watched at someone else's house that you didn't know they watched and no one explained it to them. So they've formed all these, and this has been building up over the last few weeks and that's all the rotten roots that comes out through this process. And then you can say, oh, as you're going through the recheck, you're actually putting plant food on the root and you're making the root healthy again so that now the tree can grow up healthy. Now the ugly part of the tree is tiny, tiny, tiny little branch poking out and you've got this beautiful big green tree. So you remember how you were, but now you're different. And so that's kind of the idea that's forming this. You, this, this complex stuff you can teach in this very simple way to children. Hi friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. 
On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. So amazing. Just one very last quick question. Does it matter how receptive the child is to implementing all of this? And what I mean is, I imagine it might vary. Like some children might be all in and some children in the beginning might show some resistance. Will it work either way, like like a bottom-up type approach of implementing it or will some kids just not engage? And Brilliant question. So I've worked with so many different types of children over the years. I've done a lot of family therapy. I've had my own four kids and I've absolutely diff- children engage differently with this. The best way is to if you some children will just run with it like the story of the, the child in the in the trauma section of the book where I explain I don't know if you remember reading that story you know, to me a yeah, very very sad story but ends up very happily this child observed his mom changing he had been very abused as a young child at, from the age of three months and the adoptee stepmom I mean that was everything you can imagine this child could do labeled with his, his behaviors and everything not sleeping and so on it was really really bad but his so to cope his mom just happened to learn about the neurocycle because she happened to be on on my research team on one of the projects i was doing and she was listening and thought oh i'm going to try this for myself she tried it out and then fed back to me about six weeks later and said this has been it's changed our life so i said what and then proceeded to tell me the story so i did full interviews and they gave me permission to include, obviously, we've changed names and to protect identity and so on. But the point is that he is—he saw his mom doing it. She didn't directly do it with him. She saw the changes in his stepmom and her reactivity. And she was just happy at that whole authentic thing. You know, she was trying to hide things from Tim and trying to pretend she could cope. And But meanwhile, she was falling apart from the pressure of what she was going through. And this child saw and he said, teach me that. I want to learn the neurocycle. So she... The, the children's book wasn't out yet. This was going back almost 18 months now. He learned it from basically 
from an, the adult level and she obviously helped him you know understand the concepts and I couldn't believe it when I interviewed this child of eight like this child sat I sat with my jaw hanging open about how this child explained the neurocycle back to me so I mean this is an example then he taught his big sister who was 11 and she took a bit longer to get the hang of it and didn't learn didn't want to learn from the stepmom but learned from the brother so the eight-year-old taught the 11-year-old so there's definitely going to be differences and I have a whole chapter on the timing and on ideas for engagement and that sort of thing the thing is to roll with your kids but the number one way to get engagement is for you to do it yourself I mean you stop saying things like go to your room when they aggravate you and you say I'm sorry I was in a bad mood I had this happen this and then you work through the whole neurocycle like I've described when you're authentic and honest and you don't you know sort of shout at them to go and do something that will just whatever you know the, the messy parenting side of things which you've all done so don't feel guilty I've done it too when we demonstrate on ourselves that's when we impact our children and that's when they would engage. So there's of my four kids, I had the I had the, the the skeptical ones who would watch, and then sort of when they're young, they it's easy to engage kids. Very very easy to engage kids. It's as they get older that they can get a bit more, which is good. I mean, they're questioning. You don't, you want that to happen. So it's a normal part of growing up. But if you carry on using it, your, their curiosity is peaked, and they see that that's actually works, and then you'll engage them more. So your model is very important. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been so incredible. I just can't wait for parents everywhere to to read this and implement it with their children. And like I said, it'll change them as well. So I cannot thank you enough. And the last question I ask every single guest on this show, and you might remember it from before, probably not that you do so many, so many episodes, but it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for? Oh, I'm so grateful to, to to have had this opportunity to study the mind-brain-body connection. It's been my life's work. It's consumed me and it gives me the so much joy to see that we can do this. It's made me so like engaged in life that I can give this, do this research and give this back to my own children, myself, my kids and the, and the world. So that really, I, I really mean that. That's really made me very excited. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's completely what you're doing. And I am just so overwhelmingly grateful. We'll put links to everything in the show notes. And I think you had mentioned or in the the intake form that we could do a signed book giveaway. So is that okay that we, that we do that? Absolutely. That's no problem. Perfect. So for listeners, just go to the Instagram Friday announcement post for this episode and comment something that you learned or something that resonated with you from the show or why you would like to get how to help your child clean up their mental mess to enter for a signed book giveaway. So thank you so much, Dr. Leaf. This was amazing. I can't wait to have you on next time for your next book. Thank you so much, Melody. Thank you for asking such lovely, deep questions. I always enjoy talking to you. We always seem to get into such interesting, deep stuff. So thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember... You got it.